Are y'all thankful for the grace of God this morning? It woke you up. Come on, you can give him some praise. It's a really good day to be at church. And what I want to do really quick is I want to sing the song, sing the words of an old hymn. I'm sure that many of you will recognize it. Amazing grace. Let's sing some of these words together. says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you, everybody say me, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. God, as we open your word today, I pray that your spirit would instruct us. God, your word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. God, would you show us what to do? Would you show us what to say? Would you show us when to stop and when to go? God, I pray that you would move in this place today, that people would be encouraged and inspired and motivated to change because you are worthy, God. God, I just pray as we open your word today, starting at the very beginning of Matthew, that you would begin to change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. If you will go ahead and find your seats. Tell somebody, say, woo pig, baby. Anybody watched the game last night? I missed it, but I watched the recap this morning, and boy, I was fired up. Whew, I, it's not, it's rare, it's rare you see a comeback like that in, uh, in the end of the game. I love it. I love it. Today, everybody say today, we are kicking off uh, our study in the book of Matthew. Um, if you got your Bible, wave it in the air like you, like you just care a lot, okay? Uh, we've been saying BYOB this summer, bring your own Bibles, okay? <laughs> And uh, some of you, you did that. Um, your digital Bible, it works uh, as well. And we're going to have uh, the scripture on the screen today. We're going to read a lot of scripture uh, today. And if you would do me a favor and pull out your phone really quick or uh, write this down. We actually send out a daily devotional every morning at 6 a.m. I know that may be some of your alarm clocks. Um, but I think there's nothing better than to wake up and get in the word of God. Amen. And so this is videos from pastors all across the state of Arkansas that are part of New Life Church. Occasionally, you'll see some of our staff and leaders on there. Um, but we are going to be walking through verse by verse every single day in the book of Matthew this summer. I want to invite you guys to join that. You can text Devo uh, to 501, hashtag Central Arkansas, baby, 231. 22, and uh, it'll get you the devotionals, and uh, it's going to be great. Um, if y'all would be praying, tonight we have, or this evening, we have around 30-plus people going through Connect class. Would y'all give it up for God? Those are people that are joining the church. Uh, 
learning more about what God is doing here, and uh, I just believe that um, God is up to something, and I can't believe that we get to be a part of it. Um, we're going to dive straight in. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Some of you aren't ready. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Okay, you're ready. Facts about Matthew. Um, he's a tax collector. He was, uh, he was a tax collector for the Roman government. He was disliked by his own people, and he was chosen as one of the 12 apostles, the people to walk with Jesus, and he was radically saved. And so as we, every week, we're going to be uh, opening up the, the book of Matthew and, and learning from it. Um, but as he was radically saved, he left everything that he knew and everything that he was comfortable with behind, and he walked with Jesus. Um, he writes one of the most detailed and analytical uh, gospels, a very data-driven account in the Bible. We're going to see that today. He's a numbers guy. Um, if you're an accountant or if you are good with numbers, uh, you would get along with Matthew. He liked the details. And uh, he was a Jew writing to a Jewish audience, and his goal for the, the entire letter of the book of Matthew was to instruct the people, the Jewish people, that Jesus is their Messiah. And then we dive in, and I want you, before we dive into the genealogy, and yes, we are reading the genealogy of Jesus today. It's going to be super exciting. I promise you we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, I want you all to check out the differences in the, the approaches of each of the guys that wrote um, in the gospel accounts. You've got Mark, who was a kid who heard Jesus speak, and he immediately started following him. He says, in the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's, that's pretty intriguing. You've got Luke, who is a doctor. Uh, he says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And it says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you. And then you got John who was a fisherman. Fisherman. He was a little bit poetic in his approach to uh, his writings. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then he says, the Word was God, and, and, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things, everybody say all things. All things were made. Without him nothing that was made that has been made. It's like kind of a tongue twister. And then you got Matthew. Oh, Matthew, Okay. Matthew starts his letter a little different. Um, he starts the book of Matthew by telling us some important details that we're going to dive into. But I would like to say Matthew needed a communication class. Um, he probably needed to take Preaching 101. There is power in the introduction. Um, any readers in here like to read books? Okay. Um, if you read books, you can tell by the beginning of the book if it's going to be a what? A good book or a bad book. This is a great book, but he starts it a little differently than everyone else. This is what he says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Abraham, here we go, was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, J, the father of P, and Z, and T, Tamar. P, the father of H, H, the father of R, R, the father of A, Aminadab, Aminadab. Uh, and A, the father of N, N, the father of S. Everybody say Salmon. 
Tastes good. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Very important names I'm mentioning. If any stand out, circle it. Boaz, the father of Obed, who was the mother of Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of R. If you notice, if I can't pronounce it, I ain't going to try, okay? Uh, R, the father of A. A, the father of A. A, the father of J. J, the father of J. J, the father of U. U, the father of J. I should have been an auctioneer. J, the father of A. A, the father of H. H, the father of M. Um, if you're dyslexic, it's really hard to read this. Y'all bear with me, okay? I, that's me. Uh, M, the father of A. A, the father of J. And J, the father of J. The brothers of the exile to Babylon. Verse 12, we are almost there. After the exile to Babylon, J was the father of S. S was the father of Z. Z was the father of A. A was the father of E. E was the father of A. A was the father of Z. If I don't have your attention yet, hopefully I do by now. Z, the father of A. A, the father of E. E, the father of E. E, the father of M. M, the father of J. And Jacob, the father of Joseph. In Jesus' name. The husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And thus, uh, there were 14 generations in all, uh, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. My heart rate is up really, really high right now. Um, just so y'all, y'all give it up for me. That was a lot, okay? Woo, man. Ask the person next to you, have you ever read that before? <laughs> have you ever read that? So uh, other words, we could have just said this, started from the garden, now we hear. Okay, that's, um, some of you will get it, I don't know. All right, so recently, um, Kendra, <laughs> that's funny. One of, my, one of my mentors texted me that this morning. I was like, that's too good not to share. Um, Kendra went out of town this last week, and she visited her family. Hey, thank y'all for your prayers for her brother. He is doing well. Um, and he is healing, and uh, she got to go see the family, and I told her, I promised her while she was gone that I, I was going to clean out the garage, and you know, I'm a man of my word, but Monday rolled around, and uh, she was going to be home yesterday, she came home yesterday, Monday rolled around, and the weather was nice, have y'all been outside this week, it's phenomenal, um, so I went fishing and, uh, in the afternoon, and then Tuesday afternoon, the weather was nice, and went fishing, and Wednesday, it was nice, and we went fishing, and Thursday was really nice. In the afternoon, we went fishing till dark. And then Friday, it was nice and went fishing. And, um, and so Saturday comes, right? And Saturday, uh, I went fishing. And so I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I didn't go. Uh, I came up here and prayed for y'all and studied a little bit. And then I cleaned the garage. Can I get an amen, okay? Um, I, no, don't clap. I need to clean the garage, right? Uh, here's what you need to know is that garage sits right in front of all the mailboxes in the neighborhood. So anytime our garage is open, People that drive by to get their mail, they're like, that, there is someone barbaric that lives in that home, okay? Uh, this is my second week in a row confessing about being a hoarder, so y'all just bear with me. Um, we all have things that we neglect. Everybody has things that they neglect, or maybe you put it off. And here, here's the truth about the genealogy of Jesus. You may neglect it, but I promise you, once you dive into it, and you start looking up that every name has a story and every story has a soul and every soul has a meaning to God, it'll change you. There's something powerful in the genealogy of Jesus. I've never taught on this before in, in detail. This is literally a name of baby daddies and whoever begat who, okay? Like, there's a lot of detail in here. And I say, it's kind of funny, I say it's the guacamole of the New Testament. It's not very, like, visibly appealing to the eye, but it's really, it tastes good. It's good for your soul, okay? If you don't like guacamole, then we'll pray for you. 
My prayer this summer is very simple. It's, it's that you would fall in love with the word of God. Um, if, if anything would happen in our church this summer, I believe the Holy Spirit is moving. I believe there's people from all crevices of Northwest Arkansas that are being drawn to this place because I believe God is up to something and he's in the business of using jacked up people. And so welcome. Um, we're glad you're here. If you're new, uh, we have Connect coming up. My prayer is that you would fall in love with the word of God. When you wake up, you would hunger and thirst for righteousness. When you go to sleep, you would hunger and thirst for righteousness. You think about it all the time. He's in the center of our lives, not the corner. He's the cornerstone. He's right. He's the focus. And he gets all the glory. And so what does Matthew 1 teach us? One of my mentors, who is a member of our church here, he, he said that there is much to glean from the recital in Matthew chapter 1. As it sets the stage for the authenticity of the Old Testament prophecy and the lineage of Jesus. If you think about it, wouldn't it be awesome to trace your lineage back 4,000 years? Have any, does anybody do Ancestry.com? Okay, it takes you back a little bit. But this is what's happening is it's all the way back in time. I want you to write this down. Number one, if you're taking notes, some of you got a journal today. We have these in the foyer. Uh, we only ordered 100 because we were like, it could be a, a bust. They're almost all gone. So we're going to order some more. And, um, and we plan to do this with all of our series and things that we do so you can hold on to this stuff and keep it for another time. Number one, the life of Jesus is a historical fact. The life of Jesus is a historical fact. When I tuck Zane into bed at night, I've told y'all about our little routine. He'd be like, I want to do my Bible verse, my Bible verse. He starts getting like feisty, Bible verse, my Bible verse. And I'm like, you're defeating the point, son. Like, <laughs> this is the thing is he loves when I make up stories for him. And so yesterday they got home from the trip and that garage was sparkling. And uh, I just had to throw it in there. And uh, last night as me and Zane were laying down, I was putting in bed, he wanted me to tell him a story. And so I made up a, a story about a giant mosquito that wanted to be his friend, okay? Like, I know it's weird, um, but he loved it. He was like, Daddy, tell me the mosquito story, the mosquito story. Y'all, listen, all the details of that story were made up. And just so you know, I hate mosquitoes. I don't even know why I used that example with him, but I did. Everything was from my imagination. The plot, the characters, every little detail. None of it was real. This is not the case with Jesus. This is not the case with our Savior. He's 100% he's man and 100% God. I, I, by the way, I feel like I need to throw this out there. He was not a vegetarian. He ate fish, um, just for the record. He sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He was born of a virgin. He grew up a carpenter. He took on flesh to save humanity, to have relationship with the Father. He walked the earth. He spoke multiple languages. He healed people of disease. He did miracles. He casted out demons. He taught large crowds and small crowds. He chose 12 men to walk with him closely. He fasted and he prayed. He spent time with his father. He rose people from the dead. He was betrayed by one of his own people for 30 pieces of silver. He was crucified, buried, and resurrected from the tomb. And he appears to his disciples after. And then he leaves them with this command. He says, and then would you go into the world and what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. That's what we're doing here today. Jesus did not just pop up onto the scene from somebody's imagination. Everything can be backed up about his life. Uh, I don't know if you 
uh, get on Facebook much, but there's a lot of cults that exist in the world today, okay? And uh, I could talk about them. I could, tell, I could teach you about them. There's many world religions, and I'm not here to knock all of that, but what I am telling you is that there is a lot that can be created from someone far from God that has an imagination. If you don't believe me, just look it up. I was under a tree one day, and I believe the Lord spoke to me, gave me a book that's different than the Bible. It's actually the stuff that was left out from the Bible. This is real. This is where our world has gone to is we've formed our own idea of who God is. And, and I was doing some research and many apologists and theologians, they were previously people trying to disprove the validity of Scripture. They were people trying to disprove the life of Jesus. And I want to tell you that those same people trying to disprove as they dug deeper and deeper, they actually found their faith in Jesus. They said, the more I try to disprove this, the more that I've come to grips that this is the truth. And so we've got the genealogy. It, it was written at a time that it would have been a, a credible legal document, and it gave validity to the life of Jesus. Credibility to the four gospel accounts. The genealogy of Jesus is basically a Jewish male's birth certificate. I want you to make note of, note of this. It was a Jewish male's birth certificate. So we... We got uh, certificates, we've got identification, we've got diplomas. I want to tell you a fun fact about your pastor. I did not get my high school diploma, okay? I graduated from high school, but when I walked across the stage, um, we went to take pictures afterwards, and I opened up the little book they give you, and it, there was a note from the librarian that said, turn in your English book, okay? <laughs> and um, just for the record, I never turned in the English book. Um, I've got that English book, and you know, I'm going to frame it. I just think it's hilarious, Okay. Uh, when I played Little League Baseball, every single tournament, the same question would come up with somebody. They would say, hey, can I see that kid's birth certificate? And usually this came from the losing team because they were getting beat. And uh, we had kids from our team who uh, were from BB Arkansas, and they feed them differently there. They, they grow differently. Uh, mustache, 6'2", throwing 85 at 11 years old, okay? And they drive Mustangs after the game. I don't know what's going on, okay? <laughs> I'm kidding, but... Why the birth certificate? What, what's so important? This is proof, and this is legitimate documentation of a person's life. That's what we just read. Christianity is not a startup religion from Bethlehem. It is not some fantasy that someone dreamed up. It is not created from someone's imagination. It is the continuation and the fulfillment of what God has been doing on the earth from day one. I've got a few thoughts about the genealogy of Jesus, and these are going to be a little bit all over the place, uh, but this is how my brain works. Number one, it speaks of different ethnicities and race. There's a reason I'm starting with this one. It speaks of different ethnicities and race. Y'all, it destroys the belief, and please everybody hear me, that there is a superior race and an inferior race. It destroys the idea of racism. Y'all, listen, racism in the world that we live in today is one of the most demonic things that could ever happen. That somebody would think because you look different than me, you're less than me. Or because I look different than you, I'm greater than you. Listen, y'all, hear me on this. We need to learn what the Word of God says, and we need to unlearn what much of the world has taught us. Can I get an amen? It speaks of gender, number two. Both genders are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. This is a big deal. It may not be a big deal for you, but when you know the context, it's very uncommon 
to see women in the genealogies back in the day. You've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. There was a lot of sin in this group of women, but the biblical writers that were in charge of writing this, and it goes through the process of canonization, and we have the word of God. The biblical writers, they never shied away from talking about the sin of God's people. And I'm thankful that the book of the, the Bible isn't just a bunch of people that had it together. Can y'all agree? Like, I would be so discouraged. I'd be like, well, I have no hope, okay? <laughs> like, it's full of people full of sin. But this is what it says. It shows that God uses unlikely people for his purpose. Aren't you grateful that God uses jacked up people? You should be, because that's all of us. Okay, number three. There is a major difference between the Old Testament genealogies and the New Testament genealogies. Hear me. There's, not, there's no discrepancies, but there are differences. I want to show you. If you flip over to Genesis 5 in your Bible, you'll see a genealogy. And what it says is something like this. Adam lived, and then he died. Seth lived, and then he died. Enosh lived, and then he what? He died. He gone. The New Testament says it a little bit differently. The Old Testament says, and then he died. The New Testament genealogies that you read, it talks about an emphasis on birth and life. I saw this this week, and it jumped off the page. Matthew is coming out of the gate in his book of the Bible, and he's saying there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant. We're moving from death to what? Life. We're moving from death to life. Why? Because of the birth of the Savior and his name is Jesus. Old covenant, the wages of sin is death. New covenant, but the gift of God is eternal life. Number four, write this down. Your family tree does not limit what God can do and what he will do through you. This is good. I think this is going to speak to someone this morning. Your family tree does not limit what God can do through you. Your family dynamic, please hear me, it does not limit you and your future unless you let it. Your family history does not dictate your future history. I'll say it this way. Your family's relationship with God does not dictate your future relationship with God. And I'm thankful because I came from a family that we didn't go to church. We, I, I thought that the Easter Bunny and Santa and Jesus were all friends. I thought they hung out. But by God's grace, I have seen almost every person in my family come to know the Lord. God's grace. My, my family doesn't hold me back. It's, and I'm not negating anything that's happening to you. I, I'm not discrediting anything that's happened to you. But what I am saying with the utmost confidence, from the depth of my soul, is that if it happened to you, God will use it for good if you let him. Just because it's somebody said that thing about you or did that thing to you, can I tell you in the hands of God, you'll be able to reach so many people for Jesus. It doesn't dictate your, your future. We get a choice. I think it's easy to fall into a victim mentality with this one. Well, if my parents just did this or... Man, if my parents made more money, or if we lived here, if they would have made better choices, my life would be so much, whatever it may be. Listen, y'all, this family tree we just read, the genealogy of Jesus is, it's jacked up. 
There's a reason it is. Y'all, people that started well but didn't finish well. Mental issues, character issues, spiritual issues. There were some of them that were demonic. Sex workers and murderers and addicts. But all of the curses and influences were broken at the foot of the cross. If you think you're limited by sin or by poverty or whatever it may be, can I tell you that you are missing out with the truth that Jesus is in your family tree? You you get a choice. We get to join a new family. Where you are does not decide where you are headed unless you make that decision yourself. With Jesus, we get a fresh start. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that we get a fresh start. I encourage you to start a new legacy by being rooted in Jesus. Can somebody say amen? It changes everything. Number two, write this down. Jesus came from a line of sinners to be a friend of sinners. He came from a line of sinners to be a friend of sinners. I may get a little excited on this one. Uh, Jesus and his family tree was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. There was nothing, y'all, everything there was supposed to be there. Jesus spent the vast majority of his time on earth with, y'all, with really messed up people. And I find that very encouraging. He actually chose his disciples and and literally they, they dropped the sinful things they were doing and they still were struggling as they walked with Jesus. What's crazy is Jesus actually stiff-armed religious people, and he embraced the sinful. He stiff-armed the people who thought they knew all the details, and he embraced the people that desperately needed a Savior. I think that if we, if we sniff enough in the church of 2022, I think we could still smell an aroma of religion if we try hard enough. Because here's what, here's what happens, and this is, I see this. Some people read Scripture with the wrong lens and the wrong theological framework. They'll read it. Have you all ever seen people cherry-picking the Bible? I'm going to get this and sprinkle some of that on there. Oh, let's get some of Leviticus. Nope, nobody's getting Leviticus. Uh, let's get some. <laughs> but I just want what makes me feel good. Let me tell you, the Word of God is not supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to sanctify you. It's supposed to change you from the inside out, baby. God said you were broken, you were in the middle of sin, and I still sent my son Jesus for you. He's a friend of sinners. But here's the thing is he's not a self-proclaimed friend of sinners. He didn't call himself that. Do you know who called him that? Other people. Because they observed his life and said that man eats and drinks with broken people. It's impossible It's impossible if you allow the grace of God in your life, if if you're led by the Holy Spirit, if you fill yourself with the word to walk around and still treat people the same way you used to. God will change you if you will let him. When you allow God to change how you see people, he will change how you treat people. He'll change how you serve them. That coworker that you can't stand. You'll be the first one witnessing to him when you give your life to Jesus. Really give your life to Jesus. He changes you. I had a few thoughts. When you remind yourself of how far you have fallen from the grace of God, it's really easy to be a friend of sinners. When you remind yourself the only difference between you and every other sinner in the world is that you just sin differently than they do, it's really good. It's really easy to be a friend of sinners. 
When you remind yourself, I'm going to go deeper, and you look in the mirror of yourself, the mirror of a mentor, in the mirror of God's word, and you allow the Holy Spirit to change you, you start treating people a little bit different. It's really easy to look at somebody who doesn't have the same political views as you and still love them. It's really easy to see the person that acts a fool all the time on social media, in public, around their family, and still love them. Because here's the thing, everybody look at me. You can love somebody and still disagree with them. You can love somebody and not approve of what they are doing. One of the quickest ways you can lead people to Christ is love them and serve them and love them and serve them and love them and serve them and love them and serve them. And maybe one day if I learn their name and their story and the Holy Spirit gives me a chance to share Jesus with them, I would be obedient. Man, I could tell you this, if every person gets this in the deepest part of their soul, we won't have room in this church. Because people would say, oh, I can show up and I don't have to be perfect. Absolutely. We're all about progress, walking towards Jesus every single day. As Jesus, he went from there, he saw a man named Matthew. This is the call of Matthew. He says, follow me. And Matthew got up and he followed him. He, he left everything behind and Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and they ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Don't miss this part. On hearing this, Jesus said, I have, a, I have a feeling he stood up. He probably poked out his chest a little bit. And he said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've come to call the righteous. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is beautiful. If this doesn't change you, if this doesn't move something around on the inside of you, would you just pray really quick and say, God, would you soften my heart? Because the reality is that God rescued you from your sin. He radically changed you from the inside out. Could we be the people that show Jesus to the rest of the world? Our world needs it. I wanna ask you, when's the last time you saw a doctor just hanging out with healthy people? They make a living off meeting with sick people. We can bring the good news of the gospel to a world that is broken and distorted and disturbed, and we can love them and we can still disagree with them. It's very important. The last thing I wrote down is God has always used broken people. From the very beginning, the genealogy is so beautiful. It is, a, it is a whisper from the grace of God. Jesus' family tree is soaked with people who turned their back on God. They committed crimes. They drenched themselves in darkness and sin. But God, from the very beginning, chose to use jacked up, broken down, sinful people. From the very beginning, I've got a few people to talk about. David. Y'all know David, he's remembered as the guy who slayed what? Goliath, the giant. He's also the guy that had an affair. Old Bathsheba in the bath on the roof. I've always wondered if that's how she got her name. I don't know, but 
He used his power and his influence to have sex with someone who was not his wife and then had that, guy, that girl's husband murdered. He went from wise king to rapist and murderer in a matter of seconds. Judah was extremely jealous of his brother Joseph and instead, he, instead of killing him, he came up with a plan to sell him into in slavery. It's crazy. And after this, he raised kids that were so wicked in God's sight, they end up dying just for that thing. Judah then ends up having more kids by sleeping with his daughter-in-law. This is like Jerry Springer in the Bible. And then y'all listen, Ahaz, King Ahaz could go down in history as the worst king ever. In Judea, listen, he, he literally went through a list of everything God said not to do, and he checked it twice. He was not nice. He was naughty. He was on the naughty list. Solomon, he's known for his wisdom. In building the first temple of the Lord, he made offerings that were forbidden. He had 700 wives. You think you got drama in your house? No. 300 concubines. And out of the love for these women, he disobeyed his father in heaven. And then we have Rahab. The prostitute. She's all over the Bible, Old Testament. Everybody talks about her from the historical books to the wisdom books, the genealogy to the hall of faith. She's all over. Rahab had a history. She had a broken past. Some of you in this room today, you cannot walk in the grace of God because all you can see is the thing that you did. Everybody look at me. God in his grace is for you. His mercy was for you. His blood on the cross, it was for you. You have to, everybody gets the invitation. Not everybody accepts it, but she accepts it. She had built a brothel inside the wall of, of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. I'm gonna give you cliff notes. And she was chose by God to be a, a vessel of the kingdom of God. And Rahab helped these men escape that came to spy out the land. She hid them in her house. And I would be willing to say that she had some experience with hiding men in her home. And so she hid them and, and she's doing some crazy stuff. And it says, when the children of Israel marched around Jericho, Rahab threw out a crimson red cord where she lived and the wall fell everywhere and it crushed everybody but her. The crimson red cord is a whisper from the Holy Spirit that the blood of Jesus would do the very same thing for you. That it would save you, that it would set you free, that this is what should have happened to you, but this isn't what happened to you. What do you do after you receive such mercy and grace and love and compassion from your Father in heaven? Don't miss this. This is the whole synopsis. Listen, you join the family of God. What do you do with such relentless grace? What do you do with somebody who came and set the world on fire with his words? In the best way possible, you join the family of God. This isn't just this church, this is the capital C church, the kingdom of heaven. This is what Rahab did. She pulled up her stakes. She's like, no, nah, I, ain't, I ain't staying here no more. And she bumps into this guy, his name's Salmon. Salmon, I don't know what, what it is, but one of them. And they fell in love. Hallmark couldn't dream this up. 
And, and he knew everything about her life, but still wanted to be with her. That's the grace of God. And they had a son named Boaz who had a son named Obed. Here we go again. A son named Jesse who had a son named David. You get some saving, relentless grace and you start walking with a new family. That's the church. God will do more in your life than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Finally, Salmon and Rahab, they settled down. They planted some roots. And Salmon began to build a town that we know as Bethlehem. What a beautiful picture. It's the place that Jesus would be born. The place that our Savior would come into the world. Isn't God amazing at the details? Do you think that he would miss a detail in your life? Hear me on this. If God can take such a jacked up mess and turn it into one of the greatest messages, the gospel, what could he do with your yes today? You may be familiar with the song that we sang earlier called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see the guy who wrote this song, his name's John. John Newton in the 1700s. His mother died when he was like seven years old. His father was a sailor. He ends up hopping on a boat one day, becoming a sailor. He's got his own boat. I believe he was in his 50s and, and uh, he was he was steering this boat, and they were out in the middle of the sea, and this violent storm came. 11 hours long, his hands are glued to the wheel of the ship. He's freaking out. He's far from the Lord. He's an alcoholic. He had been pursuing everything that God had said not to. He's, he's running. Have you been there before? Running from God. And he's in the middle of the storm, and he has nothing else to do, and he prays this prayer, Lord, would you have mercy on me? Would you have mercy on me? And immediately the sound of the waves dissipated, the wind dies down. When he says how, how sweet the sound, he's talking about the sound of everything else crumbling around him, but then it's the soft whisper of a rescue. The grace of God saved his life. From that day forward, he said, there's no way I can go back to my previous way of living. What a grace that I've experienced. And so he returns back home and he was actually a slave trader. He sold people. He had no value for human life. He didn't even value his own life. And instead of going back to all the things that he knew, he started eating the word of God, studying the word of God. It began to change him from the inside out. He became a pastor. And then he, he writes the lyrics of this song and he ends up losing his memory. But this is what he said. There's two things I vividly remember. I am a great sinner and Jesus Christ is a great savior. Would y'all agree? Man, we are great sinners. You could take notes from us, but we serve a God who is a great savior. If you would, would you stand to your feet across the room? I believe God's doing some really cool stuff today. This hymn he wrote, it touched many lives. We're about to sing it again, but I want you to sing it with a new perspective of somebody who was so broken and lost. The, the reason he used the word wretch was because it was the worst thing he could say about himself. He didn't have any other word to describe it. Every person in the genealogy of Jesus is an example of the grace of God. Every person that is in this room today Every one of your friends, 
your coworkers, and your family. It's an example of the grace of God doing a work in your life. I said it earlier, everyone receives the invitation to follow Jesus, but not everybody accepts it. So if you would just close your eyes, I wanna pray for you. I encourage you just like John Newton did, he received the grace of God. What a beautiful gift, no one looking around. It says we can't earn God's grace. It is a gift from heaven. God is calling some people in this room today to repent, to turn from your sin, your evil, wicked ways. We've all been there. We've all done it. Some of us are still in it. Would you be obedient to the spirit of God today? And would you turn, that's what repenting is, turn from your sin and fix your eyes on Jesus. He bled for you. He died for you. He hung on a cross for you. He took on sin for you, not for the righteous, but for the broken. And so with no one looking around today, if you're in this room and you need to get your life back on track, maybe you have followed God, but you're far from him today. Can I tell you he's close? Or maybe you're choosing to follow Jesus for the first time. Would you make a decision right there in your seat? I'm following the Lord. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I need your grace. I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that you are who you say that you are. Your word can be trusted, your spirit can be followed, and I will follow you all the years of my life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.